0: Welcome to the Gate World podcast. Come, they sold me a rumble, bum bum. A newborn king to see, a rumble, bum bum. Welcome to episode number 139 of the Gate World Podcast. I'm David. I'm Diana. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. We are back. And uh, one of the things that I want to address right out of the gate is uh, we promised you guys an interview with Kate Hewlett, and then scheduling got in the way. We thought that everything was, you know, this is just how it works. As soon as you nail down something, it all goes (laughs) to hell in a handbasket. And that's just what happened. We we were exactly on track for this, and then a couple of things happened with scheduling. We got off the bat. I have moved. I had a new position at work and you know Kate had a, a like a month long project so we wanted to have the next episode be the interview that we promised and it just didn't happen that way so what we ended up doing was just postponing 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 so all of that is to say that we have not had a chance to interview Kate yet So what we're going to do is hold off on that until 2013. I'm still chatting with her. We still got an open dialogue. But all this stuff kind of happened, and Diana wasn't able to make it for the, the time that we originally scheduled... So, what we're going to do is wait until a time where we can all get together because I've been lucky enough to talk with Kate for at least at least three occasions now, and um, I really want Diana to be there for that so so, Kate Hewlett's interview will be coming to you in early twenty thirteen I've still got all your questions saved. You can still send more to podcast at gateworld dot net so, how are you
1: me I'm really 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 really, 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 really pretty good good. <laughs> End of the semester insanities. Yeah. Uh, Epilogue is starting to receive some nominations from various mainstream competitions, so that's very exciting. Great. And the drift is truly out in ebook and in paperback, and getting some really sweet reviews. So
0: I'm looking forward to reading it. I haven't had a chance yet, but um, you said a physical copy is at some point in my future.
1: It is indeed. Yes. Yay. They are I just heard from Sally and there is a box with my name on it on its way here. Oh, I'm
0: glad to hear that. Okay. Yes. yes. That's so good.
1: I'm excited about that. And um Yeah. So I mean things are very good. I'm having fun with Melissa Scott, who uh many of our listeners will recognize that name from Stargate Atlantis novels, the legacy series. She and I have been doing a rather goofy Uh, back and forth of emails from the SGC and the Pegasus Galaxy. (laughs) So we have another round, in fact, going up tonight. We've got plans uh, in the future for a few more rounds. She's writing the Atlantis team side, and I'm writing the SG-1 team side, and... uh, we're all po- – we're poking sticks at each other and having great deal of fun.
0: You remember we had her on a couple of podcasts ago. So yes. her content is available and yeah, I encourage you to check that out. It's a really funny idea. So I saw I, like a Facebook message like thread or something of someone who had dramatized an entire episode and, and just had the, the characters have uh, little fa- Facebook um, usernames. So it's kind of funny. It's fun.
1: Yeah. But what we're doing with ours is we're, we're putting in little Easter eggs that lead to her books and to mine. Oh, so okay. um, there's a whole bit of innuendo in there if you know the books. But it, if you don't, it's OK. You'll still get the jokes and you'll still have fun with it. And if you haven't the re- read the books yet, why not?
0: <laughs> there you yeah. go.
1: But yeah, they're fun, and she's she's really a lot of fun to work with. Very a very great humor, great sense of humor. Mm
0: hmm. Mm hmm. One of the things that we wanted to start off with before we get into the main discussion, I'm sure some people are looking at the title and saying, "Okay, what does that mean?" Uh, of the podcast, which is overstaying your welcome. We'll get into that unless you've already read like the the one sentence synopsis from the from the uh, from the website. But we want to uh, open up a discussion of something that we've been, um, we've been thinking about for a long time. I don't know how much we've gotten on the air. But, th- I mean, this is obviously a podcast. This is a radio-formatted show. Um, one of the things that's always been important to me is audiobooks. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's, you know, the most ancient form of storytelling. At least it's the modern version of the most ancient form of storytelling, which is... The oral storytelling. All yeah. done by voice uh Big Finish has been putting out I guess they're in their third series now or season however you care to call it uh Stargate audio adventures from SG1 and Atlantis and uh we've been you know back and forth with them for a while now we've been wanting to get their content on the show but uh for various reasons we weren't able to and this episode we finally wanted to introduce um one of their one of their audio books to you to get, to get listeners interested in this. Because if you're interested in the Gate World podcast, you will really be interested in this show. I'll admit, I was on the fence about these things because I, I listened to one of their ones from season one, which I think it had... I think it was Christopher Judge or Michael Shanks. I don't remember which one it was. But the actors not only were playing their parts, but they were playing some other members of the SJC, like General Hammond, and it was throwing me off because I was expecting to hear... Daniel or Teal and then Michael or Christopher would come in and do Hammond's voice. I was like, I don't, I just don't, you know, you're switching me back and forth in my brain and, you know, it's, I'm having trouble following along. Well, we recently reviewed Half-Life, which is um, 3.1, the first, the first audio book for their third series. And I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. Yeah, the writing
1: is uh, quite exceptional on this new round that they're doing, quite exceptional. I would hearken – if you go back to the first series or season, if you want to call it that, of the big finished books, those are like novellas or novelettes. They're a little longer than a short story, but they're short and it's like getting a taste of chocolate cake but not getting to really
0: eat more than a forkful. Mm -hmm. Because it's basically one character's perspective.
1: Yeah, but it's not just that. Those stories are super short. They really are. They're like – I don't know. I mean it felt like a half an hour maybe. Um, Whereas – Uh, I mean, Half-Life is just... It's an hour long. It feels like an episode. There are multiple plot lines. uh, There's multiple things going on. They go from location to location. Seamless. They made a very wise choice, as you say, that uh, the actors play themselves and they brought in other people to play other characters. Um, You know, yes, it's it's classic radio drama done at its best. But, I, I mean, most particularly for me as a writer, was the quality of the writing is exceptional. Half-Life was written by James Swallow, which some of you might recognize from Relativity, which is a terrific novel that he wrote for SG-1. The second one, which we'll talk about in one of our next podcasts, An Eye for an Eye, was written by Sally Malcolm, the publisher and editor of Fandemonium. Hmm. And she's a great writer, so uh, we'll have a lot of fun talking about that as too. But yeah, Half-Life, uh, Vala and Daniel doing their thing.
0: This really feels like a lost episode from, from I believe it's season 10. It may be season 9, but I, I'm pretty sure that it's season 10. It feels like something that was just, you know, th- that's been misplaced for four years now, four years or so. Uh, it engages the the characters in a way that is completely believable. Talks about their backstories, you know, r- recognizes the uh, the the sexual tension between them, yep. and takes it in unique and different directions that allow you to reset to zero, but still feel like you have learned more about the characters in the process. Um, this half-life is actually part one of three. I've actually started listening to part two and it literally immediately starts off right where, uh, the first one ended. you you will love it, Diana, because it goes into the, it's, it's all, it's, most of it's about the Sun Tzu. And so you have Chinese, um, you know, a a Chinese colonel and, you know, the political tensions of China and everything else. So you will really enjoy that. But in terms of of Half-Life, I was really impressed with not just the main cast, but the secondary cast. Is it Kiva? Is that his name? Yeah. Really impressed with that actor. That felt like an authentic Stargate character. Absolutely legitimate. The colonel at the base—it's definitely cliche. You're gonna follow my orders, blah blah blah, blah, blah. You know, um, they've got to do it. You know, this—I I can understand where they're coming from with it. You know, the doctor's pretty—they—they they introduce new characters into the lore so that you don't have to have someone else play General Landry or or uh, Doctor uh, Lamb or some of these others that you expect. They—they they explain away why they're not there. And it fits; it really does work. I can't. I can't speak to the previous series, you know, or seasons regarding uh, how they handled it. All I'm doing is I'm starting from Half Life, and I will definitely, definitely work my way back. I'm just enthralled. I'm so tickled.
1: Yeah, they're fun. They're fun for your drive-in to work, absolutely, because my drive-in is about about fifty, sixty minutes. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun just to listen. I feel like I am watching an episode without having the video you follow along really well yes you do it's you're never lost uh it's Mm -mm. very clear
0: um there are cues either in the dialogue or in the the ambience the atmosphere as to where you are and there are definite like scene changes like in the base when someone is breaking someone else out you know you're you're in a, a cell and then all of a sudden you know you hear the klaxons louder so you've changed locations it all works very seamlessly
1: No, it's it's again. I have to point to the writing. I think just the writing has gone through the roof on this round. They finally figured out what works. There's a good chance maybe they're getting a little more latitude now. Um, I don't feel like it breaks canon at any point, but I just feel like they were they were let off the leash a little bit. And the drama is there. The humor is there. Uh, They're a lot of fun, really. Mm -hmm. They're really a lot of fun, and I highly recommend them. Great Christmas present. Great Hanukkah present,
0: great yeah, holiday would, present, great Kwanzaa present. I absolutely, completely agree. Yeah. Um, it's it's amazing how I guess it's not amazing. I mean, any like solid fan would be able to dip into ten seasons of story and and pull out the the nuggets that they're looking for to to back sell certain you know situations that are going on. Daniel, either it's in Half Life or the next one talks about Calder's people. I'm like, who the heck are Calder's people? It's been so long since I've done any it. So I go into the omnipedia and I find the entry for Calder's people, <laughs> and it yeah. was from the, um, uh, it was from beneath the surface, the, the people who were kept working underground for the for the population above. And i was like, oh, okay, there you yeah. go. So they're either using my encyclopedia that I wrote, or you know, or they are. Oh, I you know, do. Well, I mean, it it works. You know, the content is there. It's fully supportive of it. You know they address other things you know when when they're when they're dealing with uh, a new situation they address the other things that have been established in the universe that it could possibly be so as to let you know that they're not pulling any fast ones and it's just i can't I this more. is
1: sa- something i've always admired about Sally and we've had Sally and i have had lots of correspondence about this about how you don't want to do Stargate 101. Yeah. You want to keep the story moving forward so yeah. you really want to as concisely, as effectively, and as efficiently as possible you know, point to the piece of history that that storyline belongs to and then move forward as, as much as you can. And constructed in such a way that if they don't get it, that it won't hurt their understanding of the current story that's going on. Yep. Yeah, the, the stopping everything to explain the past is mm-hmm. one of the worst things that you can do with professional media tie in storytelling.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. It's you know, I I remember read I think I think I've told you this story, Diane. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I was reading a, a Star Wars novel once, and and mm. the Imperials are trying to decide, you know, where to. We're to put a new base, and the the um, one of the one of the lieutenants there is like, should we put it on i And like, no, no, it's too it's too woodsy, it's too you know, it's too overgrown. Well, what about Hoth? And I'm th- and I'm thinking to myself, you know, oh, this is really great that they're doing a callback to all the established worlds that they've covered, but they're making the universe seem small, this, this big, this yes, big, exactly, and it's like. You're selling yourself so short by doing this. Sure, some fans are going to be so excited that that you're mentioning something that they recognize and can go into. But no one would mention Dagobah as a location to set up a base. Are you crazy? You know, it makes no sense to do that. And this is the complete opposite of that. You know, they are mentioning, they are harkening back to things when they need to, but only when they need to, and then they move on.
1: And the so. irony is really at the end of the day, and I think this is something that all of our listeners will agree with us and share our frustrations on, is that the Star Wars novels are literally bestsellers and yeah. Stargate just hides in the corner. Yet, yeah. let's talk about endurance and even consistency. And we'll be getting more into this later in the podcast. But, uh, you know, I mean, Stargate, 17 seasons and a whole slew of books and all sorts of fun media tie-ins and now these wonderful radio dramas from Big Finish and uh, Stargate, Stargate who? Stargate what?
0: Well, I mean, that's I don't think that's entirely fair because Star Wars changed cinema for all time. Um, And whereas Stargate has been much of a slower burn. Oh, come on. Stargate has been much of a slower burn. So I don't expect it to pull that kind of traction. I just don't, you know. Um, it's much more popular over in Europe and, and Australia and, you know, areas like that. Um, and I, I accept that, you know. Sure. No, I, I
1: hear you. I mean, I think that the, the, the Star Wars franchise has a really good chance now with Michael Arndt uh, writing the new script. Michael Arndt is amazing as a writer. He wrote I story love story Kathleen 3. Kennedy. And uh, Little Miss Sunshine yeah. it remains one of my top five all-time favorite screenplays, and it won an Oscar for good reason. Yeah. And um, you know, in Toy Story three is just beautiful. And yes, Kathleen Kennedy is excellent. And Disney has demonstrated with their own ownership of Marvel mm-hmm. how hands off they were with Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Avengers. I. I'm, a fr- I'm embarrassed to admit it, but it's true. I've seen the frickin' thing four times now. In the theater, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, three in the theater
1: and one at home. Oh, okay. Well, there it, you go. It's, uh, you know, it's not, I mean, it's 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 not like uh, Citizen Kane, but um, <laughs> it's, it's just is. thorough entertainment. And it's, it's fun. True, and it's true to the Avengers. Yeah. I think that with Arndt and Kennedy, yeah. I think this is a good, and Lucas, I'm sorry, but t- sitting at home, it frustrates me because... I find Stargate SG-1 just the heart of the series. I continue to be very fond of it and Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. That sense of wonder and that sense of camaraderie really do endure. Absolutely. So where can you go to get uh, Half-Life? Bigfinish.com. And they're very smart about this. They've actually got two options. You can buy the CD's. Or you can do a digital download for uh, quite a deduction in price too.
0: Mm-hmm. So- I know that people are going to balk at the price, um, but it, man, it's worth it. I was so impressed, you know. And I was I was the most reticent of them all. They've been doing this for how long now, and I'm finally listening to them. And I apologize for that because it's like this is this is great stuff, you know. One of yeah. the biggest Stargate fans out there has been, you know, not been paying attention to this, and man, am I on board now! And we'll be covering um, uh, the future episodes and next podcasts, but here um, is an exclusive sample for you to check out.
1: Everyone, stand by. I'm going to open the hatch. Here we go. I hate
0: this
1: part. He said Okay, I'm out of here They won't make the pickup if they detect another ship nearby Good luck Won't they scan these pods before they bring them on board? There's a sensor mask Contents will just show up as inert machine parts
0: You thought of everything Hmm, Not really, there's a hundred ways this can go wrong That's very comforting, thank you
1: him you'd know that better than I would
0: I want to know what you think Daniel Jackson is a good friend I trust him with my life he's important to me have you ever told him that he knows have you ever told him how you really feel that's Half-Life. That's the first episode in the third series of Stargate audiobooks. This is SG-1. And, uh, yeah, we'll be covering more in the next uh, few podcasts. Yep, great stuff. The Main Discussion. Our main discussion for this week is overstaying your welcome. And what we mean by that is, when is it considered done? When is the story, the series, considered uh, finito, you know. Um, Fully baked. Yeah, we hearken back to, and I mean, it's uh, Fonzie jumping over, jumping the, jumping shark. the shark. <laughs> At that point, it's overstayed It's welcome, you know. I think I think everyone goes back to that. Um, what shows, you know, manage to uh, figure out their their perfect mix. Right up until the end, you know, which which shows didn't do that so well, you know, both in sci-fi and in the broader genre, that's what we're going to discuss right now. And I think the one that we should start off with now is the, is the one that's been going on and off now for 50 years, um, and that, of course, is Doctor Who. I have seen a handful of episodes of the new series. Uh, from what I saw, I was, for the most part, really impressed with. It's not exactly my cup of tea, which is why I don't watch it. Um, but I completely understand those that that love it and you know and keep it near and dear to their hearts. Diana,
1: yeah, I mean, I I got turned on to Doctor Who when it was Tom Baker with the long scarf when it was in yeah.
0: reruns in the uh,
1: a few decades ago. I don't want to date myself too much.
0: Tom Baker um, will always be Puddle Glum to me. Yeah, but go ahead.
1: But. Um, I mean, I again fell in love with it when Elk- Eckelstein came on as the ninth Doctor. Mm-hmm. And to be very honest, I was I was this was like a year after Battlestar Galactica I didn't come back on. And I saw that with Eckelstein, and I was like, oh, OK, so they're going to go the BSG route and go real dark. Cool, 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 cool. And then <laughs> Eckstein announced at the end of the season that what that was it. He was done. He was leaving. And yes, Tenet is great. Tenet was great. And Matt Smith is really, you know, he's really good. They're but all different. Prefer, they are all different. And that in itself, I think, was the secret ingredient. And I think that's the secret ingredient to um, a long duration series in general is you have to mix things up. And mm-hmm. Doctor Who has gone through quite a few doctors. And that in itself mixes things up and keeps them healthy. Uh, Stargate, I mean, we really should talk about home base here. Let's talk about SG-1. Mm -hmm. The thing went on for 10 years, and it went through two major shakeups, really. Mm -hmm. Okay? You had Daniel Jackson, spoiler, if you don't know the series, leave at the end of season five. Mm -hmm. And Jonas Quinn came in at the beginning of season six. We also Mm -hmm. changed networks, which Mm -hmm. changed things, too.
0: Yeah, because you had different people coming down from the top having different recommendations about where they wanted the show to go. And at that point, the show really caught fire. Um, when it was on yeah. Showtime, you know, it wasn't that – I mean, it, it had its – it definitely had its following – you know, they had four. They had four seasons out of the gate very quickly. In season one, they knew they were going to do four seasons, and then somewhere in season two, they they knew that they were going to do five. But that was it. You know, Showtime said we're going to give you this money. You you can do the cliffhangers that you want. You can do the stories that you want. You know, we're obviously going to put in our two cents where and and when we need to, but you are assured of that. And then when it went to um, to Sci Fi Channel, you know, you had this complete shift. Um, still a lot of the core writers, most of the core characters were still there. Shanks had left. Corn Nimick came in. Um, but every season at that point was like, well, you know, what's it going to be? What are we going to do at the end of season six? They thought they were going to do a movie. The end of season seven, you know, they, 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 started learning that, you know, at that point, you know, they wanted sci-fi wanted to, uh, two shows to run concurrently. Um, but everything was kind of up in the air and yet still throughout this pro- process, The show was having tremendous success.
1: Yeah, but you know what? Let's hold hold the phone here for a second. Let's rewind a little. Let's talk about season five before the shakeup that reinvented, you know, that gave some new energy to the show for good or for bad. Okay, we can talk about the season six shift in dynamics in a second. But seriously, season five, as far as the episodes are concerned, is it one of your favorite seasons?
0: Absolutely it is. Season four. Just, just full disclosure um, oh, is yeah. my is my favorite season, oh, I but think season five has my favorite episodes in it: Summit and Last Stand. Um, so yeah, it but was...
1: consistently throughout the season, because season seven has the Lost City in it. Like yeah. wow, that's incredible! Yeah. The Lost City, but it's a movie. You know, the the, but the rest of that season, there is a lot of I don't have to see this right this moment episodes. You yep. know, there was not a lot of must see TV episodes in that. Season five, you know, I think that it had some really good ones in it, but I think it had some clunkers, to be perfectly frank. I mean, we all are – we're so endeared and we're so in love with the series. And absolutely, I will watch anything from any season that you put on because I love the series so mm-hmm. much. But consistently across the board as a season, I think they were tired. But I would say seasons two through four, yeah. I think, rank higher than five. Yeah. Really. Um, you know one was the discovery season and that's allowed but by five I was feeling I was feeling story fatigue yeah. I was feel it, it, watching it I was feeling like this formula is getting played out and however conversely I would say purely from a writer's perspective not the acting this is not about Jonas it's not even about Jonas's storyline but the plots of season six I found to be some of the best sci-fi plots in television ever Mm -hmm. i mean there is some fantastic science fiction being done there and i feel like brad wright just took it up a whole other level Mm -hmm. when he got to season six and yes Mm -hmm. there were a couple of clunkers too there too but i would say that after season four i would rank season six as my second favorite season of all time Mm -hmm. because of the stories the stories are are just terrific they really Mm -hmm. are so, um, you know, new energy. This is like Doctor Who. You, you change things up a little bit, and it gives new energy. Now, that doesn't always work.
0: No, it um, doesn't always work.
1: Season 8, when Jack is back at the ranch, how did you feel about that? Did that invigorate um, the story or kind of drop some air out of it? I but-
0: felt that RDA, <laughs> years and years on now, talking about this, I felt that RDA was kind of held at gunpoint that season. Um. I did not feel like he wanted to be there because he didn't. Um, You know, I think he loved the people that he worked with and he loved working because the man has stated repeatedly that he loved working, that he's loved working. But I mean, Zero Hour is kind of his episode and it's just, he, it's just, I get the impression upon rewatching it that he was just fatigued. He wanted to be there for his daughter. He wanted to be. A, it was time to be a, for him to be a parent. Um, having said that, though, I mean, season eight has some strong stuff in it. I, I still, I love threads. You know, I love uh, Mobius. Mobius is is very good. I mean, it's it's not fantastic in my opinion, but it's certainly it's fun. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of good stuff in there, but I mean, the the stuff with the trust was just uh, yeah, meh, the trust was very dull. Yeah, the
1: trust was definitely d- very dull. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I think the thing is, is that you have to pre- pretend you don't know anything about the personal lives of the actors mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. you watch the show, and you know, you have to judge the show onto its own. And I don't feel that it was just, I mean, I do feel RDA was bored and tired. I think he was very tired at that point. Uh, that was a lot of flying back and forth. Um, but uh, Jack is also very tired and aloof. And um, Well, that's what
0: you do. I mean, art imitates life. I mean, if, if they're going to sell this true, then they're going to create a circumstance where O'Neill would, would reflect Richard Dean Anderson's situation um and i think i think that they achieved that whether subconsciously or not it, it, it was their intention i think that they achieved that <laughs> so yeah.
1: yeah you know um, and then their next thing they did season 9 was to bring michelin mhm mm-hmm. so um and that for a lot of viewers really invigorated the series for others it was basically the end of the series it was a very yeah. inter- and that's the other risk that you take when you shake things up is i mean just like i was saying you know I, I watched all of the eccleston episodes of doctor who and then when he left the series so did i and i've dabbled here and there of course i watched blink who hasn't
0: mm-hmm. um, even but... i've watched blink
1: exactly but blink it does it really wouldn't have mattered who was the doctor because the doctor has very little to do with the story mm-hmm. it's a great story um mm-hmm. it really doesn't have to do with the cat the character at all um so you do need to take those risks, but you know this is the big thing in television these days. Quite frankly, is you have to take risks. You have to take risks in all storytelling, but television, especially, to avoid getting so formulaic that it's not musty TV anymore. And uh, you know, SG one had a tough time. They had a lot of challenges, cast coming and going, changing networks. Um, but uh, I bet I would bet you most of our listeners own the DVDs at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, It's a much-loved series. Mm-hmm. Um, Stargate Atlantis, you know, it, it got into season five, and of course we all feel like that second half was just so rushed and we're very frustrated. Thank God for the legacy books to be uh, continuing to explore them.
0: Um, Atlantis had a couple of strikes against it. Um, it. It kept on having, throughout its entire run, um, and I mean SG one did too, but I mean Atlantis did you know twice as much in half the time, cast sh- shakeups and turnover. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, regardless of what or ha- whatever happened with Tori Higginson, I loved Weir, and mm-hmm. without her on the show, man, it changed the dynamic. Um, there was a civilian voice there that went missing when when Carter came in. And it felt like amanda Tapping – whatever the intention was i 'm talking years and years on looking back at this. It felt like Amanda Tapping was brought in with an air compressor to start filling up the air in this tire um, <laughs> and through the course of that, some amazing episodes came out. You know, I love doppelganger, quite frankly, tabula rasa was was fascinating, you know I mean it had Carter in the background, way in the back throughout a lot of it you know cuz no one remembered who they were and so hierarchy was gone and so it was just people and their intelligence and their wits um reunion i eh, 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 i'm not a huge ronin fan um a lot of people love that missing i love Ronin. Eh, there you go so th- there's there's some of it that's just, in my opinion was just it, it was it was ready for it to move on Um, You know,
1: I I mean, I have a different opinion about Weir. I think that Weir got boring very fast until – she became a replicator. Then mm-hmm. I was I, – not knowing where it was going, not knowing that the that the actress was leaving the show, I was like, whoa, they're stepping it up. This is very cool. A whole other storyline. We're going to – this is like BSG. They're going to get into the, the dark side of the mm-hmm. whole thing and look at the other side. Mm-hmm. And I, to this day, remain heartbroken that they did not continue to pursue that storyline with her. Because I thought it was absolutely fascinating.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely fascinating. Um, And it was really what was giving the series three-dimensionality for me. So I just – I found Weird dull. I mean I think think that out of all of them, Robert Picardo was really the most fun as a leader.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
1: He was really the most fun and he brought some great energy to the show when he was on it. Some excellent energy to the show.
0: It was a taste that you weren't expecting, but yeah. I knew that, you know, when they brought him in that they would make him someone that you would uh that they at least that they would try to get you to to grow to care about, you know. But be I mean,
1: wary about, but still be wary about. Which absolutely. Is fun. That's fun to be wary it's about. Drama. It's
0: drama. That's drama, exactly. That's <laughs> how it works.
1: Exactly. So, you know, so it's, you know, making lemonade out of lemons that they went through 3 liters like that, mm-hmm. but um I mean the Amanda tapping, she was barely in it. So you really – and she didn't do anything active where she came up with the solution. She really was in the back seat. She really mm-hmm. was not uh, critical to the story by any means whereas when Picardo came in, they really stepped it up with him and it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do feel that they try to pack two seasons into a half a season when they had to finish up quickly. There at the tail end of the the fifth year, mm-hmm. uh, so you know I would like to have seen more. Absolutely, and Stargate Universe. I mean, we can sit here and lament forever.
0: Yeah, no, that was that was definitely killed before its time. But you know, the viewership wasn't really you know there for it where where it needed it, and you know, it just it, it couldn't it couldn't do it. So, well, yeah, um, I mean, this
1: is the opposite of really the theme of this uh, podcast is that. Some series require a slow burn to build up the mythology, and that's what was happening with SGU. For right Mm -hmm. or for wrong, as far as how long it was, yeah.
0: Let's not. Yeah, let's not go into. No, that's not the issue here. But it it, it did take
1: a while, and uh, but that second season, I know a lot of people who couldn't stand the first season, and I and they would go back and check it out, and they went, "Oh, this is good." Here we go.
0: This is what I was looking for. Yeah, getting
1: into this, and then bam, gone. You know yeah um i mean the television business is a tough business there's no question about it uh but you know we were you, when you and i were first talking about this topic before we had decided to make it a podcast topic uh <laughs> we had also we had both arrived to the same conclusion about longevity uh and again in science fiction is the star trek series i mean next generation really if you look back at it the As of season three through Mm -hmm. season seven, it was, it did not overstay its welcome. Yeah.
0: You look at one and two, and there are some clunkers in there. I mean, there are some some ones that I can't go without, but by and large, it's kind of stinky. And it's just, you know, it figured out what it was. You know, yes. it reached a point where with 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 Sir Patrick Stewart and, you know, finding finding who that character was, who that person was and the interpersonal relationships with all the characters and the writing, figuring out how to make it all fit. Uh, it it found itself, you know?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Deep Space Nine, which I still contend is the greatest written series of all of them. Um, it was the same problem that the pilot was very daring great idea very risky and very but then they immediately chickened out and so seasons one season two and most of season three to be honest are you know are like detective shows on a space station and then mm-hmm. who's been Stephen murdered bear, this week and why yeah iris yeah. Stephen bear talking about changing things up iris Stephen bear came in got control of the show in season three and mm-hmm. he started taking chances and then he brought in um wharf mm-hmm. and you've that t- that just brought in all this fresh energy and all this French potential to the whole thing and it became about the Dominion and the war mm-hmm. and that is not a series by the end of season 7 I mean that was not a series that had it overstayed its welcome no. uh, Voyager I mean quite frankly the, the later the series got I thought that some of those later episodes are
0: genius mm-hmm.
1: absolutely genius
0: Voyager really was my favorite because I was watching it as I you know became a teenager and you know grew up and and uh you know dng you know my folks and i watched when we were younger or, or I, yeah technically when we were all younger but when i was younger <laughs> and uh um but my dad was it's like i i'm not interested in a show about a space station and you know i mean i i watched emissary and i thought it was interesting i watched most of emissary i missed some of it um but i just couldn't get traction with the show i saw it when it was you know when it was when I, when I was out and about or, you know, wanting something to see. But it didn't, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't stay invested in it. And then when the Defiant became a part of the show and they started spreading their wings a little, I wasn't watching. I was watching Voyager, though. And, um, you know, DS9 was something that I picked up later. I think it's so unfair that people compare DS9, you know, to the other series and say that DS9 is, is the best because DS9 is set apart, from the others by its design, you know you have a you have a fixed uh, storytelling perspective. Where with the others you do not. Um, and I don't but,
1: agree with that. But
0: from the writing perspective, I would probably I would probably agree with you on that. You know, it's 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 definitely better in terms of that from the others. It is more adult though, and I think
1: that's the thing that you're bringing up that's really fair um, to really get the nuance and the sophistication. I mean, I mean, Cisco does some. Mm-hmm. regrettably bad stuff on there, he It's a very to. political
0: show. That's and right. a yes. lot of people aren't into a politi- political shows. Political sci-fi, you don't see that very often. Babylon uh, 5 did it. You know, the DS9 BSG. did it. BSG did it. You know, yeah. to great success. Yeah. And, um, I, and, of course, BSG,
1: I mean, Ron D. Moore was the protege of Ira Stephen Bear. And if you listen to uh, Ron D. Moore, uh, who reimagined Battlestar, uh, if you listen to and his podcast. He's
0: kind of the grandfather of Battlestar Galactica in many ways.
1: Ira Steven Bear? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and quite frankly, 4400. Talk about another series that didn't overstay his welcome, but got canned because NBC, Univer- Universal, NBC, but I don't even remember what. Isn't that when they merged? They bought USA and mm-hmm. Sci-Fi Channel at the same time. And I guess they just, their little brains couldn't handle the fact that there was a science fiction show on US on USA so they were like nope shut it down sci-fi only on sci-fi and Mm -hmm. one way or another 4400 got lost in the shuffle which was a crime it's a great great series with a phenomenal cast Um, yeah so you know it's interesting because I've been racking my brains ever since we first started talking about this several weeks ago and we're, we haven't even gotten into non-sci-fi uh, shows yet. We have tons more sci-fi shows we can mm-hmm. talk about. Mm-hmm. And honestly, though, I do think that the sci-fi shows have a better chance of endurance than a non-sci-fi show. Or, or I mean, fantasy, you know, that remains to be seen. But, um... Well,
0: sci-fi is evergreen. You know, Brad Wright said that to me once. He said, yeah. you know, it is, a, it is a mirror upon the times. And as yes. the times change, so can the content. Exactly, um, but still, you can go back and watch, you know, like Measure of a Man and all these other shows, and and you know, this 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 bill that's trying to pass in the Senate, you know, it's talking about, you know, people who are disabled, and you know, I I I'm thinking, you know, I keep thinking about like Measure of a Man, you know, what constitutes a human being and what constitutes th- sentience, uh, sentience, or yep. what? How are you alive, you know? And it's it all still, you view it through the lens of your time. Yes. um and so that's one of the just miraculous qualities about this this type of uh, this type of entertainment yeah you no know, that why a lot I, of people just don't get you know and that's fine you i know, they, can't
1: quit this genre for that very reason it's then yep. I mean, the genre just continues to resonate um but yeah i mean Supernatural is in what it's tenth season eleventh mm-hmm. season uh mm-hmm. smallville smallville
0: did ten, of them. 10 I've, of them i saw all of them except for the last four three and a half years, and I'm, I'm meaning to go back and watch it. X-Files is another one. That had a huge following. Holy huge, cow. Huge.
1: Enormous. Enormous. And several movies. Yep. So, um, yeah. Ten seasons in a and mo- two movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Whereas, you know, if we... And Supernatural is kind of interesting because Supernatural, yeah, it's it's in the same grand accepting house of speculative fiction as all these sci-fi shows, but it's more of a horror um mm-hmm. type of show and uh that is impressive because if you look at buffy it was very tired when it got into season six and seven i mean those those seasons were really wearing out i mean angel definitely its spinoff off definitely left uh on a high note and it was good that it was done after five years buffy i think it overstayed its welcome by at least a year and i'm a mm. huge buffy fan guys I have all the seasons and I think weed walks on water. I really genuinely do too. I'm not joking. Okay. But I uh, I do wonder with horror if what's true for sci fi is true for horror. I'm not sure. And I think Dexter is a great uh segue for that mm-hmm. because Dexter has an, a component of horror to it. It's psychological horror yeah. so to speak, but it's also drama. And I am so sad to admit that this show has overstayed its welcome by several years. Dexter? Yeah, I'm
0: really sad about it. (laughs) Season five, you know, I mean, it definitely took off in its own kind of direction. And season six was lame, in my opinion. You know, you have a great actor in terms of Edward James Almos, who was not given a great character. Colin Hanks was flat, um, And, you know, it was an interesting idea I think it was a really interesting idea But it was poorly executed And now we're finally, with, with the revelation of what happened at the end of season 6 And the opening of season 7 A great uh, first episode cliffhanger, you know I I had high hopes and I. Uh, it's been good and bad, a good episode and a bad episode, and then a good episode. It's just like no, this 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 tank is running out of gas. It's time to it's time to yep. bring it home. And with yep. se- season eight, we're gonna get that. I mean,
1: I have to admit, as a student of story, I do a lot of lurking on message boards to see what resonates in particular television series, films, books, whatnot. I really like to see what are people thinking. What is at 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 issue for them. And uh, I got to admit, I was very relieved to see a lot of people complaining that Dexter as a character is being destroyed. And uh, I agree with that. I mean, you know that, David. I've complained about that mm-hmm. repeatedly. The heart mm-hmm. of Dexter from season four was so profound. It was, I mean, that's how I pitched to convince you to watch the show. Mm-hmm. So I kept saying how profound his journey was. And it's just spiraling into a cliche. And it's, Heartbreaking.
0: I mean, we can go into the reasons behind that, but I mean the the reason why he murders is kind of like, well, you know, why are we going there anymore if he's not going to try to duplicate what happened with his mother originally. Right. But anyway, I mean it's just um yeah. Yeah, that that's a show that's beginning to definitely overstay its welcome. But Bones I mean is,
1: Bones is another show that you know, it's like Dexter, they'll occasionally take risks and you'll be like, Oh my god, that's like the greatest hour at television yeah. yeah. But the risk taking, and this happened with SG 1 too, as it went further along. The risk taking is left less often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's less often. And a lot of times you also have to bl- blame the showrunner mm-hmm. um, because they use the same writers again and again and again. They uh, have they their don't... hands
0: on the steering wheel. How can you not?
1: Yeah, but then you don't get the fresh blood. Yeah. You know, and I think Star Trek up until, I mean, my Star Trek episode was one of the last. Spec scripts that they bought from the outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was when Roddenberry, right before Roddenberry passed away, it was one of the last ones he bought. And um, I think that's very healthy to have outside blood occasionally influence a show. And it can allow for fresh blood and keep it rejuvenated, keep the ideas going. Iris Stephen Bear and Deep Space Nine in season three. I think Voyager, I mean, we have different feelings about Seven of Nine. I think the character was genius. I just hated the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Bringing her in, though, was very... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a profound story. It's a profound character,
0: and it changed it, things it up. It helped the ratings. It really did. Well, I mean, uh, better, yeah. for better or for worse, Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. fascinated by that character's story.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely.
0: Um, absolutely.
1: Um, I mean, Community, there is literally nobody left from season one of Community. As it's going into its fourth season, in terms of
0: in terms of uh, staff writers, yeah, in yeah.
1: terms of staff writers, but you have phenomenal staff writers from season two and season three mm-hmm. that are there: Andy Bobro and uh, Megan Gantz, and a few others.
0: And that's really like an authentic sci-fi comedy, in my opinion. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not sci-fi, but it is.
1: You yeah. know,
0: it really is. So it's it's kind of hard to kind of hard to explain it if you haven't seen it. You must see Remedial Chaos Theory. Yeah, I mean, very man, simple. oh man, that was an, a fantastic hour of T or half hour of TV. Um, I keep thinking it is an hour long drama because there's so much to it. So, yeah.
1: well, Dungeons and Dragons in season two is fantasy, yeah, it's advanced Dungeons and Dragons, fantasy, yeah. sword and sorcery. It's. Uh, It's – they definitely do that sci-fi meta type stuff. And, of course, what I find really fascinating is that the lead, Joel McHale, is a huge science fiction reader. Mm -hmm. He's constantly promoting science fiction authors on his uh, Twitter account. So I say yay to that. David, Mm -hmm. what are some other series that you can think about that have either kept it up or they've overstayed their welcome?
0: The one that I keep on going back to is MASH. Mm. I grew up watching that. And I guess it was in reruns at the time that I popped down the shoot in 1983, most most of it. But um, that was a show that had excellent writing, uh, certainly not to forget Alan Alda, who, who contributed several stories, and had the uncanny ability to select actors that um, didn't really change the dynamic of the show, but brought a different flavor to it. Colonel Blake, I adored Colonel Blake. And yep, his did. and radar and, and their relationship and, Ra- and some yeah. of that informed you know uh, Jack O'Neill with uh, with Walter and
1: uh, <laughs> yes and Jeff Winger with Abed
0: yes absolutely but then you brought in Sherman Potter another fantastic actor and this they were still able to sell all of it you know I mean we we uh, Trapper when when Trapper left you know we we brought in another fantastic DJ. actor. PJ. Yep. And it just all worked. You know, and it's rare in television that you get that, where it's it's a home run pretty much every single time and that the stories continue to stay fresh. Um that's the one that I always look toward.
1: That's that's probably about the best
0: example
1: you there is out there. I mean, ten seasons. Ten seasons. It just went from
0: strength to strength. It didn't stop. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep. Brilliant writing. And what I also find interesting, talk about fresh blood behind the scenes. Uh, Larry Gilbert, who developed that for television from the feature film, mm-hmm. Robert Altman, mm-hmm. um, he left after the third season. Yeah. So, you know, I hear all these naysayers about uh, community, for instance, because Dan Harmon, the creator, has left after yeah. the third season. And I just yeah. point to M.A.S.H because the characters, they've got it down, the concepts are so strong, and there Mm -hmm. are other writers that really can bring something. So Fresh Blood genuinely
0: is good for a series. When you have actors who are confident in their roles, who they know who they are, they know who their characters are, and they're willing to trust the writers and collaborate with with the storytellers behind the scenes and contribute stories themselves, it's hard to lose. It really is hard to lose because everyone knows what they're doing. They know where their place is. They know what they want to tell. They know what the end result is that they're shooting for. It's very satisfying.
1: But, you know, there are exceptions to that rule, and I'm thinking about uh, two very specifically. One is Dexter, which did have behind-the-scenes changes. Um, Clyde Phillips, who was the uh, showrunner for the first Mm -hmm. few years— and really reached his pinnacle was season four. I mean, that was beautiful, season Mm -hmm. four. He left at the end of season four, and hence it's gone down, as we've discussed. Another series that I think is really important to point to, and I know you're not familiar with it, but a lot of our listeners will be, and that's West Wing. Mm -hmm. Aaron Sorkin, literally every single page of every single episode went through his typewriter, so to Mm -hmm. speak, and has that, that just that brilliance he could take he could have fifteen subplots in an episode in a one hour episode wow. and tie them all up in a genius one liner at the end that would just stun you to the ground hmm. and uh, I mean Martin Sheen is a phenomenal actor as is Allison Janney and Bradley Whitford and everybody else and you know the show suffered for Sorkin's leaving it it after season f- season five was particularly bad season six and seven were Better, they were good, but it never reached that level of brilliance that the first four seasons had. So there are times where changing blood is good, mm-hmm. and there are times where it's not. I think when there's a very singular vision, especially in the way that the characters talk, for instance, uh, like Sorkinese, uh, mm-hmm. then I think it's a danger. Uh, I cannot imagine Stargate without Brad Wright but I would like to have seen more fresh blood in there, particularly some woman writers. It would have been nice to
0: see. Completely agree.
1: Yeah. I think it would have really helped Stargate Universe. Um, but, uh, you know, Harmon, I think community is going to do fine with Adam. Dexter, you know, nobody really knows who the heck Clyde Phillips is. I'm saying the name and everybody's like, who's that? But, yeah, uh, I was, I was really
0: looking forward when, when Manny Cotto was brought on board. And, and to this day, I'm like, okay, this is not the, the same writer that I was aware of, so I don't yeah, know. See,
1: see, and I think, uh, to be honest, I do not like what he did to Enterprise, so I, hmm. when he was brought on, I knew I knew the show was in trouble. Hmm. So, okay. uh, yeah, different strokes for different folks, but, yeah, you know, it's interesting because you look at how British television is done where they do these much shorter seasons. They call them each season a series over there, which is kind of fun, mm-hmm. and... Um, they do much shorter ones and there is some merit to that because you don't burn out your writers but then Dexter is only 12 13 episodes a season so what's yeah. their excuse And
0: every one of those episodes counts when it's That's right when it's a, a I mean the the season is about a, is is one arc it's half a season of episodes it really is just a, a just a little thing you know seasons keep on getting shorter and shorter and shorter so the value of each episode the bang for your buck must be stronger. Otherwise, your fans are just like, okay, you just wasted one twelfth of this season.
1: Well, this so. is why I find what uh, Ryan Murphy's done with American Horror Story so fascinating uh, by totally changing things up every season.
0: Mm-hmm. Where it's, it's an anthology show, basically. It's an
1: anthology show in a certain sense. It's a per year change of anthology. So yeah. it's not short stories per se like a Twilight Zone. It's more like novellas where each season is, an, is a story unto itself. Yep. And uh, I think there's a, it's healthy. I think that's very healthy to do.
0: Well, that's a look at various shows in the genre and outside of the genre. Uh, we wanted to take some time and discuss that. D- good, uh, good podcast topic, Diana. I'm glad for you, for you suggesting that.
1: Yep, it's been fun.
0: So you're heading up to New York.
1: Heading to New York. and okay. uh, Well, first Houston, then New York. And right. uh, then back for our traditional New Year's Eve, my husband and I have uh, established a special little – our own private New Year's Eve where um, – I mean I don't know how this will be next year but living where we do now, mm-hmm. the stars in the night sky are mm. just mind-blowing and I have a very high-powered tele- Newtonian telescope with some terrific lenses So we'll take the telescope out at night and, you know, we'll watch the stars and the few planets that are up and have our own bottle of champagne. And then at 11 p.m., we'll watch the New York feed.
0: There you go. You You guys, like, put on the radio and just enjoy
1: the... We'll watch the ball come down in New York. You know, the apple come down at 11 o'clock Central Time. And Mm -hmm. we're usually asleep by midnight (laughs) Central Time. (laughs) And we're not even that old, but... It's just, you know, New Year's is, it, it even when I was a teenager or in my 20s, it just never was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find birthdays to be more important than New Year's, but uh, it is neat to see millions of people get together across the globe and uh, just have fun together. Ring in the New Year. And ring in the New Year, whether it's New York or London or Moscow or Sydney. It's just, There's definitely a certain level of joy and hope that it gives you to just see those images on the screen uh, that the networks provide so we do get a kick out of watching that definitely so um, but yeah to all our listeners a very happy holiday no matter which one you celebrate they're all
0: happy fantastic. Hanukkah, merry christmas to you absolutely Yep. yeah another year done and out um, much more content planned for next year and I appreciate all those who are still tuning in uh, so we'll see um, we'll we'll see where this goes. So we'll see you on the other side in 2013. Absolutely. From Gateworld. This is David. This is Diana and we'll be talking to you next year.